When I was a child, I was about 11 years old, and I got my first job. I was a paper boy. And it was as a paper boy that I uh, first learned about obligations and keeping of promises. And I learned that for a couple of different ways. I, um, the thing that I disliked about the paper route, other than the dogs that would chase me, was the going door to door to collect the money for having delivered papers. So every day of the month, I would deliver the newspaper on their doorstep. And for them getting the newspaper delivered to them every day on their doorstep, I was to collect $12 at the end of the month. And so I would go and I would knock on the door, and I had uh, this one guy that every month I, I would go and I would knock on his door and he wouldn't be there. And I would go and I would knock on his door and he wouldn't be there. And I would go and I would knock on his door, and finally he would be there and he would say, I'm sorry, I just had to pay my rent, and I don't have the money to pay you right now. Can you come back next week? <sighs> Okay. I mean, I'm 11 years old. What am I going to say? No. And so I'd, I would come back and I would go home and I would tell my dad how frustrated I was. And he said, what you should do is you should do this. You should tell him you have been delivering his paper and he knows that at the end of every month you're going to come to collect. And would he please set some money aside so that he would be prepared to pay you? Now, okay. So I, I did that and I don't remember whether or not that helped or not because that is less memorable in my mind. But this idea that you have an obligation that you have made to somebody, some sort of an agreement that you have with them and then that you wouldn't do that. The other way that I w- was from the other side, I, I wrote my first contract uh, when I was a paper boy. I, I think I was about 12 years old and I wrote that contract with my younger brother and sister. And the contract looked like this. I think I still have it somewhere. Uh, Where uh, it says, uh, I will help Travis get the papers ready and deliver them every day this month. And after I do that, then Travis will buy me a pair of rollerblades. And uh, that was my first contract with my younger brother that I would buy him this pair of rollerblades if he helped me. Uh, to deliver the newspapers every month. And, and I, I did that. He, he kept up his side of the, the obligation, and I kept up my side of the obligation. It, it was the first contract that I ever wrote and ever fulfilled was, was that. Now, why do I tell you all of these stories? Because this morning, we are talking about um, righteousness, right? We have been uh, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew in chapter 5 where Jesus is sitting on the mountain and he's talking with his disciples and he's explaining to, him, to his disciples what his kingdom is like. And in his kingdom, he says, we, those who pursue righteousness, those who pursue righteousness will be satisfied. That we, we ought to be a people who are pursuing righteousness, and then when we pursue that righteousness, we will be satisfied. And then he, after that, in the, after those beatitudes, he then begins to unpack what does that look like? What does true righteousness look like? What does this right living or doing what is right actually look like? And so we're picking this up in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, Do not, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Again, you have heard that it, is, it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what was sworn. Okay, so this was, this was uh, 
from the Old Testament, they, they had been told, okay, you, you shall not take the Lord your God's name in vain, right? If you, if you make a promise to somebody, if you make a contract with somebody, you shall not swear falsely. You shall not swear falsely. You should honor that covenant that you uh, make. You shall perform what you have sworn before the Lord. And this, this is that, that uh, I made a promise that if you deliver the ma- paper, I will pay you for delivering the paper. Or I, I make this promise that if you, um, if you help me deliver the papers, then I will buy you this pair of rollerblades. And, and he's saying, now, it, for those of old, you have heard it said, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. These, um, these oaths are are binding. They're, they're like a, a legal contract, right? And what might have happened, though, is that, that somebody would say, okay, um, we shouldn't take the Lord's name in vain, so we will swear by something lesser than the Lord's name, right? We're not going to make a promise by the Lord's name because we don't want to take his name in vain, so we'll just say, I promise by heaven that uh, I will do this thing. Or they might say, well, I promise by the earth that I will do, or I will promise by Jerusalem that I will do this thing. And then what other people would do is they would come along and they would go, well, he only promised by Jerusalem, so he might not keep that promise. I mean, that's not, that's not like heaven, or, or that's not like the earth, or that's not like promising by the Lord. You know, it's basically he's got his fingers crossed behind his back when he made that promise, because he only promised by Jerusalem. And, and Jesus is saying, okay, hang on, you have heard it said, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Now what's he doing here? He said, what, what are you doing you're saying that if you don't swear by the Lord, then you don't have to keep these promises? That, that then sometimes, they, somehow they are not legally binding or, or you, it's, there's a loophole because he didn't say, well, in the Lord's name. Did he promise by the Lord's name? No, he said by Jerusalem. Oh, can't trust that guy. He's going, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? If you swear by the name of the Lord... You're promising by the name of the Lord. If you're swearing by heaven, that's where God lives. If you're swearing by the earth, this is his footstool. If you you swear by Jerusalem, this is where the great king is. What are you doing? You're swearing by your head? You can't do anything about your head. I mean, if somebody said, I swear by my own head, what are they saying? If I don't keep my, my promise, you can take my head. And he's going, you're swearing by your own head? You can't even change one, the color of one hair on your head. Don't, don't we know that to be true? Some, some of us have tried, right, to change the color of our hair. You can't do it. You can't do it. God is the only one that can make your hair black or brown or blonde or white. He's the only one that can change it from one to the other. We can pretend, we could put some kind of product in there and pretend we had a different color hair than we actually did, but he's the only one that can actually change those things. He is God. 
And so what Jesus is saying here is God is God. And when you make a promise, regardless of how you make that promise or what you make that promise to, you should keep that promise. Because if you make that promise by God, or if you make that promise by heaven, or if you make that promise by earth, or Jerusalem, or your head, you are making it by God. Because do you know who owns heaven, and earth, and Jerusalem, and your head? God. God. So, so don't try and make these ways, these loopholes or, or, or something that, that says, I don't have to keep this promise because it was not contractually binding. And I was thinking about this and I was going, you know, I, I can't, I don't really know anybody who does this. I mean, is this really applicable to us? Is this really applicable to us? Do you ever hear anybody going, well, I swear by Jerusalem that I will do it. I never hear anybody say that. Well, I swear by my own head. I never hear anybody say that. So I was trying to think, well, what do we do instead? We make contracts. Lots and lots and lots of contracts. When you open up your phone and it says, you have to agree to this thing, and you go, yep, I read it, click. I agree. Whatever. I hope you didn't put something in there that's really important because I didn't actually read it. But we have contracts about everything. Everything. And if they don't have a contract, it's not legally binding. So if you talk with somebody and they say this is how it is, but then you didn't sign the contract or they didn't sign the contract or that's not what it said in the contract, it's not legally binding. And so, sorry, you're out of luck. Jesus is saying is we should be people of integrity, and if we say we're going to do something, we should do that thing. You see, I I think he's not so much speaking against oaths as this. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. If you have to have a contract to keep your word, what's that about? If you have to make an oath and your oath has to be this high or this high or this high or that high before you'll keep your promise, what's that about? If you say yes, let that be yes. And if you say no, let that be no. I get tested on this all the time because I'm a dad. Okay, you said yes. Did you mean yes? You said no. Did you really mean no? Yes, I meant no. But what if I ask it in a different way? It's still no. What if I ask mom? She's going to say no. Because no is no, and yes is yes. I get tested on that all the time, but we get tested on that in a variety of circumstances all the time. Are you going to be able to come? Oh, yeah. And then you don't come. We should say yes and then follow through to the best of our ability. We should be people of integrity that when we say yes, we're going to do something, then we do that thing. And if we say no, we're not going to do that, then we don't do that thing. You know what I I think? I think we live in a polite society where we don't like to let people down. 
And so we say yes even when we mean no. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll probably be able to do that. Or we just say probably. Lots of probabilities, lots of maybes, lots of uncertainty. Because it leaves us this wiggle room. Rather than saying, yes, this is what I intend to do, and then I, I do my best to follow through on my commitments. Why should we do that? Why should we be those kinds of people? Why should we have the expectation that when we make a promise, we would fulfill it? Because we have a God who does the same thing with us. We have a God who makes promises to us. Think about that. We have a God who's the God of heaven and earth, who created everything, who reigns and rules over everything. Why would He make any obligations to us? Can you imagine if the President of the United States said, I'm going to do this for you? Not, not just like people in general, but for you specifically. What if Elon Musk, right, one of the richest people in the world, goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do this for you. Why would you do that? You have no need for me. You have no need to obligate yourself to me. You could just give something to me or not give something to me, and there's no reason that you would need to do one or the other of those things. There's no obligation that Elon Musk, I have no idea who this guy is. Right? It's a name that I know. I know he's very wealthy. That's about as much as I know about this guy. And he knows even less than that about me. But if he were to say, I'm going to obligate myself to you and I will give you lots, why would he do that? We have a God of the universe who is far wealthier, far more powerful than all of the richest men in the world. And he has made promises to people. Fickle, weird, not normal people. They're not good, they're not righteous. And he obligates himself to them. Not just once, but over and over and over again. I just want to rehearse, remind you of a couple of the promises. He obligates himself to Noah. He makes a covenant with Noah. He promises to Noah that never again will he flood the earth. Never again will he wipe out all of mankind. He makes promises to Abraham that Abraham will have many descendants. Here's an old man with no kids. And he obligates himself and says, I am going to be your God and I am going to make you into a great people. And he obligates himself to Abraham in Genesis 12, in Genesis 13, in Genesis 15, in Genesis 17. He obligates himself to Jacob, uh, Abraham's grandson, in Genesis 28, in Exodus 24, and in fact in many places in Exodus. He obligates himself to the people of Israel. Basically, the whole book of Leviticus is God's obligation of himself to his people. Deuteronomy is a rehearsal of the obligations that he makes to his people in Exodus and Leviticus. 
Then you get to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God makes a covenant to David. Why? Because he does. Just because he does. And then when God's people have been so unfaithful and broken his covenant over and over and over again, so that you would go, God, I can see why now you would stop making covenants. Because look, you made this covenant to Noah and look at how wicked everybody got. And then you made the covenants to to Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob and to the Israelites and look at how wicked, and to David and look at how wicked everybody became. And look at in Ezekiel chapter 16 and 17 and in Jeremiah 31, he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a new covenant. What? Why would you do that? You are making covenants with unfaithful people. They have not been faithful to the old covenants. And you're going to make another one with fewer contingencies? And he says, and in making the new covenant, I am going to fulfill the old covenant. I'm going to fulfill the obligations to all of the covenants I have ever made because I am God and I can do that. And I am always faithful to my word. Does God make oaths? Yeah. But he doesn't need them. Because his yes is yes and his no is no. He doesn't have to make an oath. Because if he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. The formalities of oaths are unnecessary for God. And so they should be unnecessary for his people. We should be the kinds of people that as God followers, we just go, you know what? I am always open and honest. And if I make a promise to you and it turns out that that wasn't as ideal as I thought it was, I yet will fulfill my obligations. Because I I look at the promises that God made to his people and it looks so beautiful, doesn't it? I'm going to be your God and you will be my people and your descendants will multiply and I will bless them and they will be a blessing to all nations and they will live in this land flowing with milk and honey and they will worship me and I will adore them and all the nations of the world will come flocking to see how great and how blessed are my people in my place with my presence. And that's not what it ended up looking like because the people were not faithful. And yet God upholds his end. And he fulfills his promises. Even though the people are ugly and unfaithful and doing all of these things and turning away from him. And he says, I'm going to fulfill my promises. Even if it's only to a few, I'm going to fulfill my promises. Even if it's only to a remnant, I'm going to fulfill my promises. And I'm going to make more promises and I'm going to make, make new promises so that, that by the time you get to Matthew chapter 26, which we haven't gotten there yet, we're only in Matthew chapter 5 right now, so I'm giving you a preview. When we get to Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is going to break the bread 
with his disciples at the Last Supper and pour the wine and pass it around. And he's going to tell them, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is my blood shed for you. I am making, I am fulfilling the new covenant promised in Ezekiel, promised in Jeremiah. This is the enacting of the new covenant through me. You don't understand it yet, but I'm about to die for your sins so that you can be God's righteous people and I am going to fulfill it. How awesome and incredible is that? How awesome and incredible is it that we have a God who makes promises to us and then fulfills them? And so we, if we are going to live rightly, if we are going to pursue righteousness, we also are going to be honest. We also are going to be good to our word. And when we make promises, we will fulfill them every time. And we see in verses 33 to 37 the need for us to behave justly in our keeping of the promises to others. But now let's look a little bit further in verses 38 to 42 and see how we should react when other people are unjust with us. Because in verse 38 he says, You have also heard it that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Okay, part of... The Old Testament covenants, part of the way that God's people were to live was there was, were these laws for justice that said, if an eye gets plucked out, an eye gets plucked out. And if a tooth gets knocked out, a tooth gets knocked out. Why would they do that? Well, because otherwise, what would end up happening is an escalation. Right? He said, look, this is just. This is just. If you lose an eye, you lose an eye. Everybody's lost an eye. We're even. Because have you seen what happens otherwise when there are squabbles? Like playground kinds of squabbles? You're running around, one kid is running from another kid, and they're playing tag, and they tag them hard. Boom! That kid falls down. Is that kid then going to stand up and tag hard back? You could say that. That would be one way to describe what's going to happen. But instead of just a hard tag, it's probably a hard... And then this kid doesn't go, you know, I really deserved that because I tagged you a little excessively hard. No, there was retaliation. Boom, punch. This one retaliates. Boom, punch, punch. And then we have this big brawl going on. Right? Eventually you've got the Hatfields and the McCoys. Because there's just this huge escalation. And what this law then was supposed to enact was to say, okay, look, there's going to be justice. So when there's an eye, there's an eye. When there's a tooth, there's a tooth. But then it's done. We're not going beyond that. This is, this is just. But we are not going to allow there to be this, um, this retaliation and the, this continual building of vengeance So he says, okay, but now you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, don't resist the one who is evil. And if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Why? Don't resist the one who is evil. 
But if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. He goes, look, okay, that might be just. They slap you on one cheek, you slap them back. They insult you, you insult them. That could be just. But my people don't need to do that. Instead of being just, my people can be merciful. My people can be gracious. My people don't need to respond in the way that you would think that they will need to, to respond. And so my first thought is, every time? What if they slap me really hard? Do I have to turn the cheek every time? What if they slap me over and over again? Do I have to just keep turning cheeks? I want to be careful about that because I, I, I think that what we have here is a principle, right? A principle of non-retaliation that we don't have to retaliate. I, I don't think that what Jesus is saying is if you find yourself in a place of, of chronic and ongoing uh, physical abuse like this, you just have to sit and take it. I don't, I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying here is, is we're not going to escalate and retaliate here. That doesn't mean you can't remove yourself from this. Step out of this. We're just not going to retaliate. Do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. We, we see uh, this, there's a couple of different examples of this, but one of the ones that I appreciate is the one of Paul. And, and Paul in, in uh, Acts chapter 16 and 22 and 25, it happens a, a couple of different times, but the one I want to point out is 20, chapter 22 of, of the book of Acts, where Paul is, uh, has been arrested and he has, is being... Uh, he's about to be beaten. So they've stretched him out and they're about to flog him. <laughs> and his response is this. He, he turns to the soldier and he goes, um, are you allowed to flog a Roman citizen? Are you a Roman citizen? Yes. That's it? Just a question. Are you allowed to do this? He just asked the question. Now, there were times when disciples were jailed, when they were beaten, when they were crucified. Jesus was arrested and beaten and crucified. Okay. And I look at that kind of a response and go, okay, so he asks the question, he, he pushes back a little bit, but he's willing to accept whatever the consequences are. And I think, are Christians supposed to be the biggest push- pushovers in the world? Are they just supposed to like stand there and take whatever it is all the time? I think that, I think that if they were to have this kind of response, 
It could be world-transforming. It could be world-transforming. There are times when they are going to be mistreated, maltreated, very badly treated, but that response is so countercultural, so counterintuitive, that you are left in this place going, What's going on here? Why aren't you fighting back? And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, as part of the law, I just want to read this to you. When you make your neighbor alone of any sort, you shall not go into his house to collect his pledge. You shall stand outside, and the man to whom you made the, the loan shall bring the pledge out to you. And if he is a poor man, you shall not sleep in his pledge. You shall restore to him the pledge as the sun sets, so that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you. And it shall be righteousness for you before the Lord your God. You, you could take a person's shirt, you could take their tunic, but you couldn't take their cloak. They, they have to have something that keeps them warm. They have to have some kind of garment that, that will keep them warm. You, you wouldn't allow to take that from them. And here Jesus is saying, but if somebody tries to take your tunic from, give them your cloak too. Just be overly generous. When somebody tries to take something from you, you just be overly generous about what you give to them. You don't, what that changes, they're no longer taking it from you, are they? If they go to take your tunic from you and you go, oh, do you need my tunic? Here's a cloak too. They're no longer taking stuff from you. You're giving it to them. Nobody can take from you what you have already given to them. He said, you're going to be an overly generous people, excessively generous. I feel so, like, angry when people take from me what I think is mine. That's mine. You're not allowed to take that. You're not allowed to do that. That's mine. That's my, I, I am an autonomous person, and I have rights, and I have liberties, and you can't do that to me. Jesus said, what if you just sort of laid down those things and were overly generous? What if, Jesus says, what if they aren't yours? What if they're mine? What if your head belongs to God? What if your cloak belongs to God? What if your tunic belongs to God? What if all of your stuff belongs to God? Then how are you going to respond? God, they took your stuff. Could you give them a little bit more? If that's what you want me to do with your stuff, I guess. It's your stuff, God. How freeing is that for me? I'm no longer angry. I'm no longer frustrated. Because it's God's stuff. And if God wants to be generous with them through me, I may not like the means by which they're procuring these things, but okay, here we go. If that's how you want to do it, God, let's do it. 
And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. We should be like ridiculously generous people. Why? Because we have a ridiculously generous God. We have a ridiculously generous God. Everything that we have comes from Him. And do you remember me saying that He makes these promises to us and then we are unfaithful to the covenants that He makes with us? And so what does He do? He says, okay, well then what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the consequences, the punishment for your sin and your unfaithfulness so that you can re-enter covenant with me. So that you can perpetually be right in my covenant, right in relationship with me. I am going to take all of the punishment for your sin. I'm going to send my son to be both God and man. To understand what your temptations feel like, but yet not sin. And then, though he does not deserve it, he will die a horrible death on the cross in your place. And we have the kind of God who does that for us. So, how hard is it for us to be a little bit more generous with other people? Even those who would wrong us. Even those who seek our harm. We have a God who has laid down his life for us. And he has done it freely. Nobody made him do it. Nobody strong-armed God into laying down his life for us. In fact, in John chapter 10, it says this. John chapter 10, verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me. This is Jesus. For this reason the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Nobody's making me do this. I do it freely, and I do it for you. He does that for his enemies. Those who are against him, he does that. Those who do not deserve his grace or his mercy or his blessings, and yet he obligates himself to us and he sacrifices himself for us. We have a promise-keeping, self-sacrificing God. So we too should be a faithful and generous people. And my temptation as we go through these things is to go, okay, so... The law was eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but now the law is if one mile, then two miles. And so then I start thinking about, okay, how do I have to keep these things? Can I keep them well enough? Can I keep them strong enough? And like the Pharisees who had taken the Old Testament law and said, okay, here's all the rules and here's how far I have to go and here's all the things that I have to do in order to uh, fulfill all of these obligations and be perfect, then I start looking at these things and go, oh man, now it's so much harder. 
okay, here we go. Let's do our best. Let's really try this time, guys. And if we want to be perfect, and so then we, I, the, your temptation as we go through this is, go, is to look at this and go, okay, Travis, are you saying that I have to this and this and this and this and that? I'm saying these are the principles that God has given to us. And our temptation should not be to try and parse out exactly what the legalistic letter of the law now is with this new higher bar and what we have to do to try and cross it. Because guess what? We're not going to. We couldn't even cross the little bar. And now it is so much harder What I'm saying is these are principles that God has given for us that when we are in the pursuit of righteousness, we shall be satisfied because as we pursue it, as God's people, we will have his character more and more and we will exhibit these kinds of traits more and more. And every time we fail his generosity and faithfulness to his promises and his self-sacrifice to us will make up for any deficiencies so that once again, we can be in his presence. I'm not trying to raise the bar so high and then make you try and jump higher. I'm saying the bar has already been unattainable. But we have a God who clears it easily. And we ought to pursue his like character and delight in his character. Because the thing that I think when I read through this and and think about it is, one, I can't do this. And two, how awesome is God? Because He does it. I was meeting with the other pastors this week and, and one of them put it this way. A child of the kingdom gives more than he owes forgives more than he owes, and sets aside his rights because giving is the mark of God's covenant with his people and when, when it is followed and obeyed from the heart. We give more than we owe, we forgive more than we owe, and we set aside our rights because this is what God has done for us. Let's praise him for that. O oh Lord, Every time we open this up and we see the words of Jesus, we recognize how deficient we are. That we do not measure up to the standard. And yet, Lord, at the same time, you reveal to us your character. And who you are. And Lord, how much we delight to see that you make these promises to us though you didn't have to. That you fulfill them every single time and when you say that you will do it, you will do it. And that you will do it in a self-sacrificing, generous way. Lord, we praise you for this now. In Jesus' name, amen.